Uh, we're starting a new series this week. This month is Easter, right? And so this series will take us through Easter. Um, and, uh, and my prayer is that it really will help us all uh, take some steps of growth and maybe experience some healing. Uh, because the, the topic we want to engage is really a central topic and theme uh, to the Christian life. It's really required that we understand um, what this is and we're able to flow in it. and We gain a lot of maturity in it. Uh, really, we as Christians should become experts at this uh, uh, topic for our next series. And the topic is, are you ready? Are you ready? It's a tough one. Um, the topic is forgiveness. <laughs> Some people call it the new F word, you know. Ah, nobody wants to say it. It's tough. Forgiveness. Man, why is forgiveness so hard? Uh, there's a number of areas we struggle with it. We struggle with asking for forgiveness. We struggle with giving forgiveness. I don't know why. I mean, I know some of the reasons, but it is a tough one. And yet, like I said, really to be a Christian, understanding forgiveness is really the, at the core of it. Because really to become a Christian would require that I understand before God that I need forgiveness. That as I go through life, I recognize that I have sin that separates me from God. And I've got to do something about that. And the answer is, the only answer is to be willing to come to God humbly and to say, yes, I have sin. I agree with you that I have sin. I've fallen short of the mark, the standard you set for me. And because you created me, you have, uh, it is your character and your standard by which I'm required to live. And so I recognize that I need forgiveness from you, God. That's the beginning point. Uh, of what it means to become a follower of Jesus. And so forgiveness is tough. And yet uh, this week, as we start this series, we want to look at um, one aspect of forgiveness that sometimes I think is the hardest, and that is the struggle to accept forgiveness into my own life. I wonder how you do at forgiveness. How do you do at accepting? I mean, really accepting God's forgiveness. Really accepting somebody else's forgiveness. How do you do at Forgiving yourself. Sometimes that's the hardest part. I heard recently, within the last couple of years, um, I couldn't remember exactly who said this, but I think it was one of the pastors in town. He was talking about being at, a, uh, at an event in Lincoln and hearing from kind of a state-level official talking about some of the struggles uh, in our communities. And he was speaking to the issue of mental health. And he said mental health struggles are pretty uh, common. And he was talking about the numbers of people in rural Nebraska that would have a struggle. This would be rural Wyoming too, right? A struggle with a mental health issue. He said about 10% of your people in your church or your community probably have some struggle in that arena, whether it's depression, anxiety, whatever it might be. But um, we know with uh, 2020 and 2021, those numbers have probably gone up by 40%. A lot of people... Um, Health professionals anyway believe, you know, man, we're in a crisis. We're under so much pressure psychologically and emotionally. We really have an epidemic of mental health issues that we're struggling with. And so we know this is prolific. But the thing I remember that he said, which ties into what we're going to get into God's word about today and through this series, he said, 60% of those individuals that you know, that you have in your churches or in your communities that have a mental health struggle, 60% of them could experience healing and recovery if they would just understand and apply and live out forgiveness. 
So the truth is that we struggle with this issue and we're driving ourselves to have emotional struggles, mental health struggles, because we're not understanding and living out forgiveness. Joe Rogan has a podcast, not recommending his podcast, by the way. Just because the pastor says something doesn't mean it's an endorsement, okay? But Joe Rogan, I heard recently, make a comment, and he's probably the uh, most listened to podcaster, right, in the world. Um, he said recently, I heard him talking um, uh, about, a, um, about this idea of forgiveness. He said, you know, um, when I was younger, I used to hold on to grudges. Somebody hurt me, somebody did something wrong to me. Man, I held on to that, I wanted to get back at them. If I saw them, you know. But he goes, man, as I get older, I just realize it's so unhealthy, and I just have learned, man, just let it go. And if I see something that I've had an issue with in the past, I just try to talk to them, try to express to them. Let's just bury that hatchet, you know? So here's a pagan, somebody who doesn't know God at all, doesn't understand the need for God's forgiveness, but he gets the importance of this issue when it comes to our health. And so we are in a crisis and as Christians, we need to understand forgiveness. And so as tough of a topic as it might be, I want us to dig into it and discover what God's word has for us. We have all been wronged by someone. We've all been hurt by someone. We also have wronged others. And so we need to get into this and we really need to engage it, not just understand it in our minds, but really begin to practice it. And so I wanna work through this topic with us. My pastor's heart for you, my pastor's heart for you would say, man, if you can listen to anything, and get any help from anything and, and have the Holy Spirit work in your life, man, this is so key and central for our lives. I meet people all the time. Certainly I myself have uh, arenas where something's happened in the past and I have regret, I have guilt, shame that I'm carrying with me. I meet people all the time struggling with something that maybe they did when they were younger, some stupid thing they did when they were younger, but they just can't let it go because they did something dumb and it hurt somebody else. When I was just getting into junior high, just getting into those uh, teenage years where the chemicals, you know, start flowing in your body, um, I, uh, we moved to Utah and I lived in, um, in, in the city, but my mom's family had a little acreage, a little farm. And they hadn't sold it off and built houses and everything, so it was a little acreage. And so we were able to kind of have fun there. My brother and I, two years younger, we'd go mess around on the farm. And, uh, and it was great. Well, one of the things we really thought we needed to get the full experience was we needed a BB gun. Really badly. And so we would petition my dad for a BB gun. Two young men, growing up in America, every boy needs a BB gun. Well, the problem is... My dad was against BB guns. And the, the reason he was against BB guns is he literally had a friend who shot his eye out with a BB gun. No joke. So <laughs> that's my situation. I had to have the one dad, you know. So anyway, I'm like, dad, come on. So we kept, you know, we didn't give up. We just kept, come on, dad. So finally, I think I was 14, he got us a BB gun. Well, my brother and I, two years younger, we would mess around on this little spot, you know, we have fun with the BB gun. Somehow we found another BB gun. Somehow. <clears throat> and then we got the idea that playing war <laughs> would be a fun thing to do with BB guns. Okay, kids. Again, just because a pastor talks about something does not mean he's endorsing it. This is a stupid thing. 
that my brother and I did. Dumb. But we decided that, oh, well, we won't pump them up very much, you know. We'll just keep them low. And well, that way, if, if we do hit each other, well, it won't hurt that bad. It certainly won't break the skin. Well, <laughs> probably know where this is going. So I decided he was a long ways away, so I would pump the gun up more. But then when we actually encountered each other, he was pretty close. And of course I shot because got to win. Well, fortunately for both of us, he turned just in time, hit him in the back. And I was like, oh man, instantly, you know, in the moment you do it, you're like, Ugh. and then the moment that you've done it, you're like, Ugh. and so I run up to him, what's going on? And he's in pain, you know, he's got to play it up, you know, the younger brother. So he's playing it up. I'm like, oh, come on, you know, let me see it. Well, it broke the skin. I'm like, ah. So I'm feeling in there. So I don't feel anything. I think the BB bounced out. Just don't you tell mom and dad, we will lose the BB guns, right? <laughs> he didn't tell. He's a senior in high school. We were, he was probably, I don't know, 12 when this happened. <laughs> He's a senior in high school. He goes to the doctor for some reason. The doctor says, what's this bump on your back? <laughs> and my mom and dad are there. It all comes out. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> You do stupid things. That was a stupid thing, man. I've regretted it. I felt horrible about it. I couldn't take it back. Finally ask forgiveness, you know, down the road. Maybe you made a decision one time. Uh, you drank too much. You did something that you didn't want to do. You wouldn't do it again. Maybe in a moment of anger, you did something, said something, hurt a relationship. Maybe in just the process of growing up, uh, raising your family, working hard, uh, striving to succeed, you ended up estranging uh, yourself from your kids. You weren't around them enough. They get older, they say, man, you know, my childhood wasn't good. You weren't a great parent. I don't know. We all have something that we carry. The real question is, what do we do with it? You guys um, have to be living under a rock not to have heard about the slap that was heard around the world, right? And so because of the slap that heard around the world, we find out about these people's lives more than we should know. So we find out Will Smith, Jada Smith, they have this weird relationship. Their marriage is weird. There's these awkward conversations and interviews. They're talking to each other about extramarital affairs. Maybe you have, in a moment of weakness and pain, you stepped out on somebody, committed adultery. I don't know. We have these things that we carry, regrets, guilt, remorse, shame. Question is, what do we do with these things? Do we just carry them through life? Try to act like it's not that big a deal, just keep moving forward? Or is there something we can do about them? Remember today, the difficulty of accepting forgiveness. It affects so many people. What does the Bible say about forgiveness? Well, the biblical spiritual principle of forgiveness goes like this. As I said in the beginning, we've gotta to come to the realization that we need God's forgiveness. And we do that through a process of understanding what God expects of us, what God's rules for us are. What does he expect us to do? And when we come into a, an understanding of that, we recognize how we've fallen short of that, we haven't lived up to it, and then we recognize we have a need for God's forgiveness. And then we go to God, the Bible says, by putting our trust in what Jesus did when he died on the cross, paying for our sins, we can go to God 
And by trusting in Jesus, we can experience and receive God's forgiveness. The Bible calls it to be made right. Justification, to be justified, straightened out, made right with God. Titus 3.5, we just read this last week, describes a little bit of how this happens. It says this, he saved us, he being God, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. So we come to God, we ask for forgiveness, and in a moment, our sins are washed away. All of our sins, all the sins we've ever done, are doing and have committed today or ever will do. They are all taken away and we are made right before God and God no longer sees us through our sin, but he sees us through Jesus, the blood of Jesus, which was shed to pay for our sins. It's a miracle. It's the most amazing thing anyone can experience. Then we have another aspect of salvation called sanctification, which uh, reflects the fact that we've been paid for, right? You have been bought with a price. And so God now wants you to begin to live like he intended for you to live. It's called sanctification, being holy, being set apart. So we begin to, um, as Wyatt said last week when he got baptized, instead of being a sinner running towards sin, we become a sinner running away from sin. We're still going to struggle with sin. There's still a battle with sin, but we're going to move away from it, moving towards obedience in Christ. The next step that God teaches us, impresses upon us, and expects of us is that we share that forgiveness that we've experienced, that we share it with others. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. What's at stake here is the spiritual health and vitality of your life. You can receive the forgiveness of God when you trust in Jesus and you're made right. But as you live your life trying to move away from sin, you will still sin. And Jesus says, if you don't offer forgiveness to others, you're not going to receive that ongoing forgiveness of God, which is going to affect your spiritual strength, your spiritual maturity, your spiritual vitality, and you will end up living and acting like someone who has not even experienced the forgiveness of God. We have all been forgiven, and God expects us to forgive others. It's not conditional. There's a lot of Christians who do not walk in forgiveness, and so they don't experience the power of God in their life. Their their spiritual life is not growing. They get stuck in a spot. And this issue we're talking about today about letting yourself off the hook, forgiving yourself or accepting God's forgiveness directed at you is absolutely essential for you to continue to grow. You're not going to grow in your salvation without understanding and practicing forgiveness. So we all need to learn to admit our own sin. We also need to seek God's forgiveness and we need to learn to forgive others. Again, we need to become experts at this, very fluent in forgiveness, very quick to ask God for forgiveness and receive his forgiveness, very quick to give forgiveness away. 
First John 1 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's an ongoing process that a believer engages in, not to be saved, but to stay healthy and grow spiritually. We've got to um, walk in a practice of interacting with God, confession, repentance. In order to illustrate this and help us understand how this works, I want us to look at the life of one of the disciples who became an apostle, one of the leaders in the church. You've all heard of him. His name is Peter. He was a passionate, on-fire disciple of Jesus. Uh, One of the first disciples or young men that Jesus picked out, and he followed Jesus with a great deal of passion. You'll know Peter if you've read anything about him. He was outspoken. He didn't have a lot of filters. If he thought it, he said it typically, and he was all heart, and he was all in. He was all in for Jesus. He loved Jesus. He loved him with all his heart. But as we're going to see today, Peter, Peter's character needed to grow to match his enthusiasm, right? Peter's character needed to grow to match his enthusiasm. And so Jesus is going to walk him through a process of growth and development in his spiritual life related to his sin and failure and related to how we need to process and work through accepting God's forgiveness, First thing we're going to see in this story with Peter, um, again, Jesus, uh, we're going to look in the Gospel of John, and uh, this issue with Peter is given to us um, in the Gospels, and it's recounted in a little bit different ways, and we're going to look at some of those distinctions. But overall, Jesus, in John chapter 13, is talking about um, his uh, betrayal that he's going to experience at the hands of Judas. And how he's going to be turned over to the authorities. He's going to go through uh, the crucifixion and all of that process. And he reveals to his disciples that in this and through this season of suffering and difficulty, he's going to be glorified. It's going to be revealed to the world who he really is. And so Peter, wanting to participate with Jesus in everything, responds to these revelations of Jesus in John 13, starting verse 36 this way. He says, Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, you can't go with me now, but you will follow me later. But why can't I come now, Lord? He asked, I'm ready to die for you. In other words, Jesus, if this is going to be a hard thing, it sounds like it's going to be tough. Look, I'm ready to go. Just just let me go. I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready to do anything. Jesus answered, die for me? I tell you the truth, Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. (laughs) You're not able to die for me, Peter. And not only are you not able to die, but you're not even going to acknowledge you know me in a difficult situation. See, Peter has kind of what we might describe as puppy love feelings for Jesus, He's got feelings of love. He loves Jesus. Just like the first time you went on that first date and you got to know the other person and you said, man, I love you. <laughs> and, uh, and yet that love had uh, very little more than just feelings associated to it. That's kind of where I think Peter was at. He feels wonderful about Jesus. Jesus makes him feel things he's never felt before. Accepted. 
um, excited. He wants to be with Jesus and he loves the things that Jesus does and he's around it and he's a part of it. And he's thinking, man, I'm all in. I love Jesus with all my heart. But the truth is Peter is going to be tested and Jesus predicts that Peter's going to fail the test. That seems kind of discouraging that Jesus, God, would speak negatively, disparagingly of Peter. Peter, you're a good guy, but you're going to fail. That's not how God's supposed to think about us. He's not, he's not supposed to predict our failure. He's supposed to speak life into us and encouragement into us. And yet Jesus um, is also grounded in a little thing we call the truth. Right? So he knows what Peter's capable of. He knows where Peter's really at. And he just tells him, Peter, you're not ready for what you think you are. The good news is that Jesus is going to walk through this with Peter and ensure that he gets to the place that he needs to be. Next, we're going to see that Peter fails Jesus. It's the next step in the story. We've got to jump to John chapter 18. <clears throat> this follows Jesus' uh, last supper. And then he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. You'll remember he sweats blood. Uh, taking on the weight and grappling with the weight of what God is asking him to do. When he goes through the passion, he accepts the mission. Judas betrays him. The guards, some Roman guards, some palace guards, and some Jewish officials come to Gethsemane, arrest Jesus, and take him to put him on trial. They take him to the home of the high priest, where they're going to have a trial that goes overnight. And remember, Jesus has said, Peter, you're not going to die with me. In fact, you're going to deny you know me three times before the sun comes up tomorrow, before the rooster crows. And so in John 18, we follow the story. Starting in verse 15, Simon Peter follows Jesus as he's taken to the high priest's home, as did another of the disciples. In John's writings, when there's another disciple or uh, an unnamed disciple, that's usually John. We don't know for sure if John is referring to himself here, but it would kind of follow the pattern. And so Simon Peter followed Jesus as did another of the disciples. That other disciple was acquainted with the high priest. He knew the high priest, and so he was allowed to enter the high priest's courtyard with Jesus. He gets in with Jesus. Peter, however, had to stay outside the gate. He didn't have the connection. Then the disciple who knew the high priest spoke to the woman watching the gate as she let Peter, and she let Peter in. So this disciple, again, probably John, speaks to the woman guarding the gate. Peter's allowed in. As he walks through the gate, maybe after he's in the, ga maybe after he's in the courtyard for a while, the woman asked Peter, you're not one of that man's disciples, are you? Here's the moment. I'll die for you, Jesus. Peter says, no, I'm not. No, 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 no. You've got me mistaken for somebody else, right? Poor Peter. All heart, just not enough character yet. You and I have all been there. We've been in those places where we want to do the right thing with all our heart, with all our emotions. God, I want to obey you. I want to stop doing this thing that I've kept doing. I'm going to stop. I'm never going to do it again. But our characters got to grow so that we can actually fulfill or live out those things that emotionally we want to. In uh, the gospel written according to Peter's testimony, which is Mark, John Mark wrote it, he penned it, but he used Peter, Peter's um, testimony or Peter's, uh, Peter was the source for it. This is how it's 
written out regarding Peter's denial of Jesus. Again, three times. So what we read in John was the first time. But this one in Mark chapter 14 comes after the last time, the third time that Peter denies Jesus. In Mark 14, 72, it goes this way. Suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. He denied, he denied, he denied. And after the third time, a rooster crows and it flashes in his mind what Jesus said. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. And he broke down and wept. Here we see some remorse, some sorrow that Peter experiences. In in Luke's gospel, he gives us a little bit more information in Luke 22 regarding this last moment that he denies Jesus the last time. In Luke 22, 61, it says, at that moment that Peter denied Jesus for the third time, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. If you have, uh, and you know what it's like to have done that, and we all have, to fall short, to fail in a moment, in a moment that we wanted to live up to, but when we face the pressure, We didn't live up to it. We failed. We fell short. We know what that feels like. Um, God has given everyone, the Bible says, a conscience and a knowledge of right and wrong. But once you trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you. There's a real sorrow that you'll feel that's different than before you put your trust in Jesus. And Peter certainly expresses this sorrow. He weeps. He runs away. He feels instantly the weight of what he's done. Sorrow, I heard recently, is the emotion that heals all other emotions. Sorrow is the emotion that heals all other emotions, but it's really a little more complex than that. The Bible talks of a sorrow that leads to spiritual healing and then a sorrow that does not. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 10 says this, for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There is no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. So there's a good godly sorrow that brings healing to us spiritually. And that is the kind of sorrow that results in repentance. And repentance is simply to turn, away, turn around and go the other direction. So if I'm going to experience healing and sorrow is a part of it, if I'm going to experience spiritual healing, there's got to be a response to my sin and sorrow. It's not just feeling bad, but I actually take action and I move in a different direction. Worthless sorrow is simply feeling bad but not making any change. Can I tell you that uh, we can have a prick of conscience, we can feel bad without really making any changes. Selma Elmore, her conscience must have been bothering her when in October 2010, this 44-year-old woman flagged down a police officer, said, officer, officer, is there a warrant out for my arrest? (laughs) The police officer said, your name, information, looked it up, He said, yes, there is. There's a warrant for your arrest. Upon which she promptly took off, (laughs) 
running away, trying to get away from him. So the warrant, which was for not paying a fine, was now compounded, right, for avoiding arrest, resisting arrest. Look, we can feel about, bad about something and go the opposite direction of what we're supposed to go. We can go in the right direction, which is what God wants us to do, leading us towards health and healing. I've found that for myself and for others, and I run people all the time, that have, uh, have sinned or have a sense of, I didn't do the right thing, I'm carrying a weight. And there's two different emotions or internal experiences that we can have that I've found. And one of them is a feeling of conviction. I did something wrong, I have sorrow about it, and I want to move in the right direction. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. Conviction leads me to run back to God when I have messed up, when I've sinned, when I've fallen short, run back to God. But there's another emotion and feeling that I've seen people walk in, and that is a sense of condemnation. Condemnation attaches my sin to my identity, and I become whatever the sin is. It becomes who I am. And can I tell you that the Bible talks about a condemner, an accuser, and that is the devil. And condemnation will push me away from God into isolation. Now, the Bible does say that without Jesus' forgiveness, we all stand condemned. Before we trust Christ, we are walking in condemnation. But remember, what God is trying to do is woo us to come to him and restore the relationship. Sadly, many people do not. They live in condemnation, which is what the devil wants us to sit and soak in. In order to have the sorrow that comes from failure and from sin, in order to have that sorrow lead to healing, again, we must move in the right direction. As we follow Peter through Jesus' prediction of failure, through his actual failure and sin, but I want you to see in the next encounter Jesus does not leave Peter in a spot of failure, but he works with him to ensure that he grows through this. He doesn't sit and soak in it. Peter, next we're going to see struggles with forgiveness. The setup for this section found in John 21. It's following Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. He's appeared to his disciples a couple of times, and on this instance, Peter is with six other disciples. They're um, hanging out. And Peter, one uh, afternoon, says, I'm, a, I'm going fishing. Like, I can't just sit here. I'm going fishing. And so the rest of the guys say, we're going with you. And they go out on the water, get in the boat, and they start fishing. And they fish all night. When the sun starts to come up, they've been out there all night, tired, worn out, and they've caught nothing. Jesus standing on the shore, got a fire going. Now they don't know it's Jesus. But he cries out to him, hey boys, how's it going? Catch anything? No. Well, try throwing the nets out on the right side of the boat, the starboard side of the boat. Try that spot. And they just decide to humor him, right? And they do it. They start pulling in the nets and they're full to bursting. John says there's 153 large fish in the nets. Peter recognizes that that's Jesus on the shore. He helps pull the fish in, then he jumps out, and he's 100 yards from shore. He swims to the shore because he wants to be with Jesus. Remember, Peter failed. He had sorrow over the failure, but he still runs to Jesus. And when he gets there, Jesus fixes some breakfast, 
And after breakfast in John 21 verse 15, Jesus has a little conversation with Peter. It says this, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Remember, Peter had kind of indicated he loved Jesus more than any of the other disciples. Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. There's been a lot of ink spilt over this interaction, trying to figure out all that's going on here. We know that Jesus is asking Peter three times. It kind of mirrors the three times Jesus or Peter denied him. So there's some restoration going on here. I kind of wonder if a little bit of what Jesus is doing is ensuring that Peter doesn't just sit in the sorrow that doesn't lead to repentance. That Peter doesn't just stay in a spot where he feels the guilt and the shame and the weight of what he did, which is one of the greatest sins against God and is certainly against Jesus recorded in the scriptures. I mean, he wasn't there for him in a moment that Jesus needed him most and Peter was his biggest supporter. He was his right-hand man and he failed. The weight of that could affect Peter forever. He could stay stuck in, I'm a failure. I'm a betrayer. I didn't, I wasn't there for Jesus and that's who I am. I think it's interesting how Jesus, in this awkward interaction, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, Jesus, you know I love you. Then repent. Then do the work I created you to do. Feed my sheep. It's great, Peter. I know your heart. I know that you felt bad. I know that you have sorrow over your sin. But you can't stay stuck there. You got to move on into the work I have for you to do. Where are you? Where are you at? How are you doing with the sins of your past? Are you sorrowful? Do you feel bad? Are you saying, well, this is just part of what I got to do. I'm, I'm going to stay in this because I got to pay for what I did. And this is part of the payment. I'm just going to be miserable. Or are you practicing the sorrow that leads to repentance? Your sin, according to Jesus, is not your identity. Your failure is not who you are. It's interesting that Peter's ego and pride is what got him in trouble. But it's ego and pride that would keep him in trouble. It's crazy that that's how it works because we think, no, 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 it's not my pride. I feel horrible. I'm a horrible person. I did look what I did. I failed. It's so wrong. I need to pay for that. (laughs) And Jesus says, no, (laughs) you need to ask me for forgiveness I'll take you through a process of dealing with it, but you need to move on in repentance to do the work I gave you to do. For Peter, Jesus didn't hold him in that failure. He said, no, you're going to grow. You're going to mature, Peter. 
This has taught you a lesson and I need you to grow through it, not get stuck in it. I've met so many people that say, no, 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 you don't understand. I sinned so much that God could never forgive me. You're not that good of a sinner, okay? (laughs) You're not the one person that's done the worst things that God can never forgive. I mean, I know you're pretty important, (laughs) but you're not that important, okay? See how that's ego? No, come on, Your, your sin is forgivable. Jesus' blood covered it, just like all the rest of the sinners. You're in the same spot. Don't let that pride that got you into trouble and sin in the first place keep you stuck in it. Let's let go of it. Let's accept God's forgiveness. You know, God designed the the body in a very special way. We can neither pat ourselves on the back nor kick ourselves in the behind very easily. (laughs) We want to do both those things. Pride is really our biggest problem so often when it comes to receiving and accepting God's forgiveness. I just want to call you and implore you. The gospel is for you. Jesus' blood covered your sins. Will you put aside the obstacles to accepting it and just let it in? God's grace is enough for you. His mercy is enough for you. His blood paid for your sins. Let's walk in it. God, we thank you for the way that you uh, work in our lives, the way that you help us through our struggles. And God, I just pray over each person here, those that are struggling to forgive themselves or to receive your forgiveness related to something they've done, got caught in, something that's hurt someone else, hurt others. I pray for each person here that the sorrow that they would experience in that is the sorrow that would lead to repentance, to a change of life. God, help us to follow you, to put aside the past, to let your death on the cross, the blood that you spilled, pay for it so that we can walk in the newness of life you want to give us. We struggle, God. It's hard for us to accept forgiveness. And so we just pray that you would give us strength. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.